0: It is a symbol of prejudice. And for you, when you see that flag, you were triggered and it was traumatizing and it brings up that trauma because whether we like it or not, Black people are still dealing with the legacy of slavery. And this is part of the problem. So you just have to say to yourself, imagine what that is like.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to this new episode of The Wake Up Stories. My name is Laura. Hey, y'all. I'm Andrea.
2: Welcome. Today, we have a new format for you guys. I know typically you're used to coming on and hearing one guest share their story on maybe some things that have happened to them and how bias has impacted their life or how they've woken up to unconscious bias and become advocates to it, whatever that looks like. But today, we wanted to take a little break from that and discuss an ongoing hot topic of the Confederate flag and why people feel so strongly about it one way or another. Laura and I together wanted to bring this up because it came up in the the discussion when we talked about how different groups are treated when they protest and when the insurrection happened. And I was expressing the pain that I felt watching that Confederate flag walk through the halls of our nation's capital. So that led to several more conversations what Laura and I had and had different viewpoints. And we were like, collectively thought, you know what? This needs to be an episode. <laughs> <laughs> we need to have someone on and explain what the deal is. And let's give our opinion because I guarantee you, hands down, you guys feel the same one way or another, or maybe you're in the middle. And it's right, Laura.
1: Yeah, for sure. And this was the very <laughs> first topic that we ever spoke about. We were on that beach trip and on the way, Andrea was like, Laura, do you want to know how many Confederate flags we passed? And I was like, I have no idea. So this is (laughs) honestly like the first, this goes back to the very first topic we ever discussed.
2: Yeah. This is how she and I, if you go back and listen, why we started this podcast, you learn that she and I started having these discussions about race when we were on a girl's trip. And that Confederate flag on this girl's trip is what sparked that. And here we are years later down the road. (laughs) So we have two guests with us today. Our first guest is Sarah Gellix. Sarah is a mom of two kids and a personal trainer who is native Utah and currently resides in Salt Lake. She's a double major in history with a secondary and history at the University of Utah. She taught secondary history studies in Davis County for eight years. She's an avid history buff. She's also a former member of the Utah Civil War Association, so she brings a wealth of knowledge on this topic. Welcome, Sarah. Thanks for joining us.
0: Hey, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Absolutely.
2: We also have with us James Dutton. James is a criminal defense attorney and former public defender. He is the vice chair of the county commission in Spalding County. He speaks five languages, has two degree, four degrees total, two graduate degrees, all with honors, and is a father of two, kids two and four, and is also happily married. James, welcome to the show.
3: I'm excited to be here, thanks for having me.
2: So uh, we are just gonna jump right into it, guys. We want Sarah to basically give us the 411 on the (laughs) Civil War, the Confederate flag. How did this all come about? Sarah, let's hear it, sister. Let's hear where and
0: how did all of this craziness start? Okay. I feel like I'm back in the classroom again. Tell uh, your audience to get comfy. We're going to have a little history (laughs) lesson. I'm taking Um, notes. Yes. Okay. With the yellow pencil. (laughs) Yes. A plus for you, Lara. Sweet. Okay. American Civil War, for those of you who are not familiar with that, or you've heard of it, was our Civil War that went from 1861 to 1865. This is the most destructive war as far as casualties that we have ever had in American history. Contemporary historians estimate that 750,000 men died. That type of bloodshed is absolutely unseen. And to understand some of its legacies and impacts, and especially what we're talking about today in terms of the Confederate flag, we need to understand why it happened. So I'm going to... There's a lot of reasons why, but because of time restraints, I'm going to go over, I believe, a couple that are very important as far as the catalysts to causing this war. So the first thing that I think when most people think of the Civil War, they think of slavery. And that is definitely, I, in my opinion, the biggest catalyst of the war. Because if you take slavery out of the equation, what are we fighting for? So let's get a little uh, history on slavery. The first enslaved African that came to what is now the United States was 1619. And for 230 years, slavery flourished in the United States. Now during the Revolutionary War, and before the Revolutionary War, the enslaved population was about 1.5 million. And the men who would later frame our country and our constitution really had a conundrum when it came to the issue of slavery, because a lot of them understood that it contradicted our revolutionary ideals of freedom, of liberty, of everyone is created equal, but at the same time, they're owning other humans. So you also have to consider too that these men were slave owners themselves. So it's a contradiction. So after the American Revolution, slavery as far as the in terms of the cotton production was actually decreasing because to produce cotton was very labor-intensive. Enslaved people had to pick out the cotton seeds by hand, and that took hours and hours to produce one pound of cotton. So until 1791, slavery really isn't flourishing the way that we see it in the 1860s or up to the Civil War in the 1860s. But with the invention of the cotton gin, which was an invention by Eli Whitney, it was a machine that separated the seeds from the cotton. So it made it very fast, very profitable. And so you see the institution of slavery just exploding so much by so that by 1860, there are 4 million enslaved people. I know I'm not supposed to
2: stop you, but hold I'm sorry. Are you yeah. telling me that with the invention of the cotton gin, which I think we all remember learning in school, maybe I do because I have a Southern education.
1: Yeah. I, no, I don't we, remember went,
2: we went from about 1.5 million enslaved people to 4 million enslaved people.
0: Yeah. Holy and that's part cow. of it because right. it became so profitable. Not only okay. is the cotton profitable, but the actual enslaved people are very profitable as well. So Right. Because well, their value goes up. Exactly. And in, in 1861, on the eve of the Civil War, there are 9 million Southerners in the United States and 4 million of those 9 million are enslaved people. Oh my God. So that, so okay. slavery, so after the um, American Revolution, you really start to see two almost separate economies forming. The North starts to abolish slavery and they Focus more on manufacturing as far as their economy goes, where the South is staying with slavery to produce these this cash crop. And they got so the South got so rich off of cotton that people even called it white gold because it was so profitable. And they would ship 70% of Europe, England's cotton imports came from the South. So the second most powerful region in the world is the South, next to England. So this is how much money we're talking about. Now, a common misconception is, we all think that white Southerners own slaves, and that is actually not true. Most white Southerners, most of them did not own slaves, but when it came to fighting for the institution of slavery and upholding white supremacy, Even if you didn't own slaves and you were white, you were willing to fight and potentially die for that cause. So it's ingrained in that society. Okay. So by 1861, we really have two almost separate (coughs) regions forming. We have the North that has the manufacturing, you know, factories and is focused on that. And then we have the South, which is cotton and slavery. So slavery really is the first Big catalyst of the Civil War. The next thing that I want to talk about is the expansion of slavery. This was a huge debate in the decades up, leaving into the Civil War. So, anytime the United States acquired a territory, there was almost like this panic of, okay, is this going to be a slave state? Is this going to be a free state? Because right. nobody wanted to tip the balance politically in one or the other's favor. So there was always this. Okay, we, we've got to if we're going to admit a free state, we have to admit a slave state. So you have the Compromise of 1820, all these different compromises to maintain that balance. So northern whites were really worried that if the expansion of slavery continued to happen without that balance, that the United States would be held by these slaveholding elites. Now. The Southerners that owned most of the wealth were definitely the top 1%. So when we think of Gone with the Wind and this huge plantation with all of these enslaved people, that really in reality was about the top 1% of okay. white Southerners, okay? So they, that 1% had most of the wealth, okay? So Southerners viewed the expansion of slavery as essential to their economy because they're seeing these new territories. So anytime that they're able to expand that's potential for more political power, more economic power. Okay. So that is why they wanted slavery to expand. Okay. So that's the second reason that I have politics Um, and economics and the expansion of slavery into territories. Okay, the third one that I want to talk about is states' rights. Now, we often hear this a lot. The Civil War wasn't fought over slavery. It was over states' rights. States' rights, yeah. But my argument really is, well, you take slavery out of it, and and what are we fighting about? But we do need to, to talk about states' rights issues. So when we talk about states' rights, what we're saying is the debate of which powers belong to the state and which powers belong to the federal government, okay? okay? And this is an issue that is not new. You know, right. on the eve of the Civil Still. War. This, has been, <laughs> this so isn't you know, new even now. <laughs> yeah, right. So, and even after, when we became a nation after the Revolutionary War, there was this huge debate. Okay, how much power do we give the federal government and how much power do we give the states? And that was a <laughs> continual-ish area of tension for decades, even so much that when Andrew Jackson was president, South Carolina almost seceded from the union in the 1830s because of a tariff that they felt benefited Northerners. So secession hasn't been, that has been talked about before, but not when the state's rights, as far as the Civil War goes, is surrounded by slavery in terms of the Civil War. I hope that makes sense because slave states were adamant that slavery was a state issue. This is, the federal government can't tell us what we can do with our slaves. And they were not willing to accept any direction from the federal government on that. So states' rights is another issue that I wanted to touch on. Another one that I think we definitely need to talk about is the abolitionist movement. And we've heard that term many times before, but if you were an abolitionist, that means that you were actively doing everything you could to end slavery. And we don't really see a lot of abolitionists. There were a couple Quaker groups, which was a religious group in the 1780s that you see that kind of forming, but we don't really see the movement begin until the 1830s where there was a period of religious revivalism. And this is where they start to reach audiences really. We have papers being formed and the most famous is the Liberator. And these are African, free African-Americans with their white allies. We even have, it's just a group, tons of different people coming together to um, end slavery. But the movement was mostly free black people and their white allies. And there's hundreds of branches that are formed across the United States. And of course, if we talk about abolitionism, we have to talk about the Underground Railroad. They helped 100,000 slaves get out of slavery into the North and even into, can- into Canada. So abolitionism is definitely a cause of the civil war. Southerners looked at them as these crazy white people that were going to come and take everything from them and take their slaves, take their money. So to some, they were considered very radical, but as we get closer to the civil war, they're considered more mainstream to the point. I think By the eve of the Civil War, I would say a lot of people thought slavery was wrong. Even some Southerners, white Southerners, thought slavery was wrong. So changing that attitude, right, to the point where we've got to do something about this. The next one that I just am going to touch on, and then I think we'll go from there, is Uncle Tom's Cabin. And this is a book that was written in 1852 by a woman by the name of Harriet Beecher Stowe. So by this time, most northerner, white Northerners, I'd say, didn't really know the experience of slavery. It hadn't really, it's it's not something that they think about, right? If right. it's not around you, you don't think about it. So this woman wrote a book, and in its first year, it sold 300,000 copies. But what this book did that was different than, let's say, the abolitionists' newspapers and those type of things, is that it connected to people for the first time that they could read about the evils of slavery. And Stowe's characters were black and white, slave and free. And the way that she portrayed what happened to these slaves affected people. It was the first time that they could really connect and actually have someone tell them like, this is how these people are being treated. And most people were horrified and this hasn't been verified, but it's rumored mm. that Abraham Lincoln, when he met her in the 1860s, he said, okay, so are you this little lady that has started this big war? Because it, her book was again, another catalyst to this. Okay. Let me just, so those are, I have some more, but I think we're just going to finish on that because I want to get into why we're here today, which is the Confederate flag. So there are a lot of other reasons that the Civil War started. Bleeding Kansas, Dred Scott, the election of Abraham Lincoln. But I just want to touch on, I felt, the biggest things. So let's talk about this flag. And Andrea, I'm with you. I feel like that image of the Confederate flag on... The insurrection has been burned in my memory. Yeah. And a, a lot of people don't understand the history of it. It has a pretty interesting history because when we think of the Confederate flag of the Confederacy, which is what the Southern states called their country, that flag that we know today is actually not a sanctioned Confederate you know, Confederate States of America flag. That flag was never recognized as the flag of the Confederacy. The yeah. one that we yeah. recognize today. Yes. The one okay. with the cross and the stars, on right? It, yeah. That is not the official flag of the Confederacy. The official okay. flag is actually called the stars and bars. And I think if you saw it, you wouldn't really know what it was. It looks like the United States flag a little bit. So where our 13 stripes are. They mm-hmm. have three stripes, red, white, and a red stripe. So there's three bars. And then where our stars are, they have a circle of stars. Representing oh, I see it. Wow. The Confederate flag. Yes. So okay. those are Confederate states. So what happened is that the first battle of Manassas, which was the first battle of the Civil War in 1861, there was so much confusion because remember, these. this is 1861. These rifles that these soldiers are using are black powder. Right? So it's loud. There's smoke, smoke. everywhere. So- it's it, it too, yeah,
2: it's too similar to the American flag right. and you can't right. really tell, it's, it's not
0: as obvious
2: as which side you're on.
0: So that was the problem is that okay. the soldiers got confused because they, it is very similar. And so they were like, wait a second, we've got to get something else. So okay. Robert E. Lee, who was the um, head of the Confederate army, they had what was called a battle flag made. What we think of today as the Confederate flag that we've seen everywhere is actually the battle flag in Virginia. Yes. Yes. Okay. That that is the
1: battle. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. I don't mean to interrupt. Um, Are they both referred to as stars and bars then?
0: No. No. So just
1: the official one,
0: because I think sometimes when we
1: hear the Confederate, when we talk about this flag, I feel like I've heard it referred to as the stars and bars.
2: Stars and bars. Well, yeah, we're from the South. But I always thought it meant
1: this one, not the other, not the official one.
0: No, the official okay. one is if you typed in stars and bars, This I've one got it. Up. You can, I can see all of it. Yeah, like right. both came
1: up. I just Googled it and both, you see both of them.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was the, so the flag that we is associated with the insurrection and white supremacy is actually a battle flag. And think about how this came about after the, why it's associated with the Confederacy, even though it was never a, an official flag of the Confederate States of America. After the war, that battle flag was used by Confederate veterans at right. reunions, eventually the sons of the Confederacy and the daughters of Confederacy, which is like a heritage group, I would say that would remember their right. father and grandfather and great-grandfather that fought for the Confederacy started using this flag, but it wasn't really until the turn of the century where we see the resurgence of the Ku Klux Klan. There was a really, a movie called Birth of a Nation. They should, yeah. That that revived the Klan. And so then you start seeing this flag, whereas before it was really just used by veterans. Right. It's now been turned over to these more extreme groups Especially, we see a, a huge resurgence of this flag in during the Civil Rights Movement as they these white people feel like they need to, for whatever reason, push back against the Civil Rights uh, Movement so they're going to fly this Confederate flag. So it really has become a mainstream staple in the South. Now, Andrea, you grew up in Georgia. I'm yeah. sure you could count many times you drive down the block and how many Confederate flags you saw. Yeah. It's almost like you can't even count them. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's, exactly. That's how many they are.
2: They wave them proud. They wave them high and loud and proud. And right. I, I think it's, it's I think it's interesting. How? Ha- Wait a minute. Before we start having dialogue, was there anything else you wanted to add to the history of that and the history of the flag?
0: No, I think that's it. I, I also just okay. wanted to add that the battle flag has really today we when we see that flag we it's been adopted by white supremacists right so it's transferred from veterans using it to now white supremacy and white supremacist groups adopting it other
1: right? groups flying it besides those by like yes do you think that there's still people who don't understand that correlation that people have
2: yes absolutely yes. yeah
0: yes for sure yeah
2: That's why I wanted to talk about this, Laura. I'm glad you said that. And if you're just joining us for the first time and you haven't seen me, Andrea, I am black. So part of why we really wanted to bring Sarah on and give that history is because I feel a lot of people don't know and don't understand. And I will be straight honest. I learned a lot just in this little short history lesson that I didn't know. I had no idea. I've heard of the stars and bars, like you said, Laura, and I but I didn't realize that was the first, the OG Confederate flag, the official Confederate flag. I didn't realize that the Confederate flag that we recognize today is actually the battle flag. So that was super mm-hmm. eye-opening to me and it now starts to make a lot of sense. But one of the things that Sarah brought up that I find is interesting is how she kept saying like, the flag as history progressed in America the, can in my mind, I want to say battle flag, but people won't get it. We're just going to refer to it as the Confederate flag now. Is that fine? That's fine. Right on the same page? Okay. Yeah, sure. So the Confederate flag over history has made like a resurrection and it's taken on different meanings over time and by different hate groups. And so I love how, Sarah, you brought up the birth of the nation because this is so why Laura and I are dedicated to doing this podcast. When you realize the power of the media, the news, the school, things that you've been taught, when you realize the power of how it seeds your subconscious mind and seeds your belief, then you can wake up to it, literally. So the Confederate flag, yeah, went off to the side and wasn't a big deal. And those who were true and dear, yeah, they had them, but no one would wave them. But then you have this movie the birth of the nation literally america's first blockbuster okay and it was viewed in the white house and it depicts it's it's white men and black depicting slaves who rape a white girl and it's a three-hour movie i think i can't even bring myself to watch the whole thing but i've read and studied about it uh a lot and but the whole movie you have like it, it and it takes place right at the end of the civil war okay It takes place at the end of the Civil War, and it literally gives birth, like rebirth to the KKK. KKK members did not wear white with white hoods and like the the white hat that points at the top with the eyes cut out. That was Hollywood giving birth to that hateful idea and outfit. People don't realize that. And then Hollywood sticks the battle flag in their hand, and you start associating white hateful people with this Confederate flag who do bad things to black people. and But they make themselves look like saviors because in the movie, they claim that the guy, the black guy, the, the slave who really, in mind, a white guy in blackface, they depict this slave as raping this white girl and they hunt him down and beat him and torture him and hang him. And the girl is so mortified that she's been raped by this black guy that she'd rather die and ends up committing suicide. It's just a crazy freaking movie. And so you get all this hateful rhetoric from America's first blockbuster. And it was viewed, it was debuted in the White House. Our president sat and had a party, a small party, watching this movie. This is a big reason on why bias, hate gets seeded. It's because of the things that we see and we hear and we think that happens when the reality is, before this major motion picture, KKK didn't wear that stuff. They weren't flying that Confederate flag. So you have almost overnight, the Confederate flag becomes a nationwide symbol for hate. Okay. So I just thought that was really important to bring Mm that. even though I understand the history of it, they didn't make that flag to say, we are hateful. They made that flag so that their troops could recognize which side they were on and who they're fighting for as all these reasons Sarah listed, right? States rights, the expansion of territory, politics, economics, the abolitionist movie, and obviously to keep people enslaved. So for all these reasons, they've succeeded. And like she mentioned, thank you for bringing that up because I wanted our audience to catch that too. That when the state, when the Southern states succeeded, this wasn't the first time they were talking about succeeding. This was just the first time they got the courage to actually do it. So it didn't just come out of nowhere all of a sudden. So I wanted to kind of point that out too. But Laura, James, I would love to hear your thoughts on what just happened. And then I'd like to. Yeah, I think one point
1: that you were just making, and I would love to hear James's thought on this as well. But I think a lot of times whenever this subject has come up before, I feel like a common dialogue that I hear is that flag was created because of hate. I think that's something that I've always just nodded, but not really known. And so it's interesting hearing the actual history that like, it wasn't created because of hate. It was created for this like logistical reason that we don't want to, we want to know
2: which troops are.
0: Could I make one, just one comment real fast? Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. I just want to make sure that we understand and just clarify that even though the modern day, what we consider the Confederate flag has been used by hate groups, we also need to understand that the point of the Confederacy was to uphold the institution of slavery. Right, so yes. even at that time, even at that time, while we're saying it was logistically better in battle, we still need to remember what this country is fighting, this what the battle was country for. is fighting for. Yes. So yes, to me, that flag, even though it has been, it's been changed into something, whatever modern today, what we think of that is. We have to remember the root cause. Mm-hmm. So that flag has been created out of hate and racism to keep other people oppressed. That's all I just wanted, just a little reminder that it, it it's not some, it's a piece of fabric, but we have to remember why they made that. Does that make sense? Right. Okay, so before I go on,
1: the, the reason where Andrea and I differ, there's a lot actually that we agree on here. Yeah. And, and there's one point that we disagree on. Right. <laughs> yeah. Okay, Go so ahead. So. Throw it out. There, that point is, and correct me if I am wrong, Andrea, is that you feel that it should be Ill- illegal to fly this flag.
2: Yes.
1: So if, illegal feel... for anybody to fly this flag, yep. not just government yep. for I- yes. I- individuals yep. to fly this flag. <laughs> Okay. I think it should be
2: illegal to fly
1: the flag. Yes. Right. So this is where (laughs) we differ because I will tell you, I love my black brothers and sisters. I love my black, my brothers and sisters of color. I am on this podcast to create more understanding on both sides for sure. I also believe in freedom of speech and I believe Mm -hmm. that making this illegal, violates that. And so I would love to hear James's thoughts on that. I
2: would love to hear James's thoughts. And then I have a comment. James, please.
3: So I've remained quiet listening to this. It's always interesting to hear the perspective analysis of the causes of, of the Civil War from non-Southerners. As a Southerner, that's very interesting to me because they're quite different than what our take on that. But again, I think you could have an entire podcast on the causes of the Civil War. And that's not right. really what we're we're talking about today. Uh, I, In my opinion, I I echo what the feelings that you've conveyed and the emotions that you conveyed completely. When someone sees these symbols, they have an emotional response. And it's, it's positive for some folks and it's very negative for the vast majority of others. And I think that those emotions are valid, no matter if the person displaying a symbol means them to feel that emotion or not. Those feelings are valid no matter if they're you know, intended to be engendered or not. That said, having both a master's in public administration and a doctorate in law, and being someone who is currently tasked with making laws, I can tell you from literally every aspect <laughs> of someone who interacts with the law that governments are terrible at making laws. <laughs> uh, we, governments try to accomplish a goal, and often they ignore something that, that we in economics call the externalities, these unforeseen circumstances, whether positive or negative, that, that are created by the intended target. Anecdotally, just so you understand, for example, here in Georgia, they made, after the passing of the Endangered Species Act, they made the red-headed woodpecker this protected endangered species. And their, their goal in the Endangered Species Act was to increase its habitat. People were cutting down the trees that this woodpecker lived in. We have to prevent them from cutting down these trees. So how do you do that? You make a law that says if the woodpeckers are found in the trees, the forest becomes protected. You can't cut it down sounds like a great idea this is pretty simple right this should lead to more forests being around for this woodpecker so that its numbers would rise unfortunately the overwhelming majority of forests in georgia somewhere between 70 and 90 percent are all timberland now the return on timber is measured in per acre per year Right, they're not like wheat where you can grow every year, so you have to, I mean, you know, harvest every year, so you have to divide it by the twenty or forty or sixty years that you allow that tree to grow. Well, red-headed woodpeckers only live in the really old ones, the forty to sixty years old, and those are where, that's where you maximize the per year profit on the trees. When the federal government comes in and says, "Hey, if we find one red-headed woodpecker, your seven hundred, your seven thousand, your ten thousand acre forest track. Is now protected and its value drops to zero. Mm-hmm. Instantly, all the farmers cut down all of their trees and only grow them until they're about 15 to 20 years. Mm-hmm. And so, overnight, literally over a three year period, the red headed woodpecker lost almost 90% of its habitat because of the law protecting its habitat. And so, again, we have this great idea. We need to protect this habitat. This is a good goal. We should do this. We pass a law. It's very simple. And yet it has this wholly unforeseen effect. And uh, again, that's just one vivid example. You know, you look at at the same thing they did with uh, elephants. You look at what they're doing right now with the rainforest. Uh, When you make a law that seems simple, it actually has a lot more consequences than you think. When it comes to prohibitions on things, there's a lot of negative externalities or positive externalities based on your point of view on, on the use of that thing. For example, why is teen marijuana rates so much higher than the rates in every other group of people? It's because those doing those things that are illegal makes them that much more, uh, I don't know, cool. There's so much, Ooh, we're sneaking. This is a thing. And. When you compare the U.S. drug use rates to the Netherlands drug use rates, where if it's not or uh, if it's not legal, it's decriminalized, even hard drugs, their rates are significantly lower than ours. Why? Right. Because it's ubiquitously everywhere. Everyone knows, yeah, you can go get it. There's nothing cool about doing it if you want to. Same fine, with whatever.
2: the same with the alcohol, like it's the European right. countries. Yeah, same with European countries with the lower age for alcohol have less. Like incidences and, pro- and problems than and abuse than Americans okay. do with our. Absolutely, hired.
3: there there are <clears throat> a lot of DUI attorneys in in Germany where they drink, yeah. you know, like fish. Whereas and, over here in Georgia, in my small town, there's probably 15 of us. If you look, bringing it closer to home, if you look at when they changed the marijuana laws in Colorado, initially the rates went up. Hey, cool, we can finally do it, and all of a sudden. rates actually went down because it wasn't cool anymore more importantly when they legalized it in colorado the crime surrounding the drugs went away instead of hotels and gangsters fighting each other for turf wars they would literally set up marijuana dispensaries next to each other and then their war becomes their sales
2: cooperation yeah
3: exactly so it's it, it there's all of these externalities that we're not taking into account when we simply say, this is wrong, we should stop it. So, and,
2: and I I, I, agree, go ahead.
3: No, I just, I I look at that and I say, anytime somebody bans something, you Mm -hmm. actually, especially in the short term, but certainly in the long term as well, you actually increase the desire for that item. There's actually an example that that's literally just happened (laughs) in the last couple of weeks. They obviously have stopped publishing and printing some of these Dr. Seuss books that at the time weren't deemed as offensive, but have since been deemed as culturally inappropriate. These books normally sell for $4 on Amazon. They're now going for over $400 on Amazon. Why? Because the desire to have these things that are now banned is so much higher. Again, I'm not the guy who flies the Confederate flag. I'm not the guy out here going, my heritage not hate. I don't have the big truck with the 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 truck balls attached to it. That's I'm not that guy. But I there's so many problems when you create a blanket prohibition on something mm-hmm. that you simply can't foresee all the ramifications, even though you can see some of them. <laughs> you can see how much backlash it would get if this was even brought up. But I don't think that a ban would change the actual demand or use of the product. That said, there certainly are ways that governments can look to address these issues and try to unpack this for the world so that its use actually does decrease. Actually looking into how to get rid of what we would call asymmetric information. The public doesn't generally know something that it should, and if it did, it would act differently. For example, actually you you brought it up in in talking about the cotton gin. The cotton gin didn't increase the desire for slavery. It increased the desire and demand for labor. What was the labor that was available? Slaves. Slavery. But why was it only slavery (laughs) that was available? Why not the millions of immigrants that were coming over? It's because the Immigration Acts made those immigrants virtually completely come through the northern states and the middle colonies, as opposed to the southern colonies. Places like Ellis Island come to mind, even though that really wasn't uh, established before the war, but it's the same idea. The That was where the collective the United immigrants States, come in. And it, but it was because of the laws that they had created. And again, once again, this feeds into that states rights issue, the northern states went, well, we'll route them towards the north and the middle states. Thus, we have a majority and forget you southern states. And the southern states say, we can be okay with that because we'll just keep getting slaves. So the north made laws that said, we want these people to come here so that we can increase our manufacturing. But they were also making laws that inadvertently did was increase the desire and reliance upon slave labor in the South. So again, when you think of government cause and effect, you can't just think of law equals effect. You have to think of the domino effect when you create laws. And that's a very vivid example of it. So again, I I, I think when you look at the, the, the Confederate flag issue, I think it... It's better to treat it like we've treated teen tobacco use. It's been illegal <laughs> for people to under a certain age to smoke cigarettes for years and years. In fact, it under Trump, it was raised, but the the use only actually declined when instead of fighting it like, like we're doing the drug war, we decided to fight it with information and try to get rid of that asymmetric information. Don't you understand this is bad for you? This isn't a cool thing to do. This is a terrible idea. Here is why. And when we spent all the money on that, all of a sudden the actual use went down and hopefully will eventually continue to go down and and hopefully completely go away one day. But it didn't start to go down by making laws that prohibited it. It started to go down when we started to get rid of that asymmetric information and help people understand why they shouldn't do this and i think that's the way to broach this subject as well hey don't you understand that you're hurting you're making me feel bad you're hurting my emotions you hurt me when you make me feel this way when i see this thing wow you're my neighbor i had no idea that this was such a big deal to you i I thought it was a left versus right thing it's not it's Hey, let's share my perspective with you. Oh man, I had no idea that this was such a big deal to you. Look, I, I get calls all the time as a county commissioner about barking dogs or somebody in the county sh- shooting guns next door to me. And I want the cops to come out and stop them. And my c- first question is always, have you gone and spoken to your neighbor? Well, no. Why not? Start there. If your neighbor goes, oh, I didn't know that you had a war veteran that lived with you that gets freaked out when I shoot my guns. Boy, I'm so sorry. I will certainly shoot less guns. I will certainly make less noise. I'm I, Yeah, let me get my dog. I didn't know that was bothering you. Dog's been walking so long, I don't even hear anymore. But we skip that step. And we immediately call the government and say, I want the police power of the state to come and force my neighbor to, wait a minute, why don't we just talk about it first? And I think a lot of those problems can be solved. Again, that's why this podcast is such a great idea. Hey, I didn't understand your perspective. You didn't understand mine. Let's talk about it. And now we can all be better neighbors, better citizens.
2: So there was so much in there that I feel like we just need to have lunch. Next time I come to Georgia to actually digest, but I, I completely understand what you're saying, James, and it does make sense. But I feel like it could be even a combo of pushing out information on why and still making it illegal because there. I don't understand why representation of hate should be allowed. Why is that allowed?
3: I, I think I that's an excellent question. I don't no, get to I've...
2: walk it. And, and here's the thing when you look at what should have happened we can all say should have could have but what should have happened is the dominant caste should have outlawed it when the war was over how dare they allow this disgusting flag to remain legal as an expression when they just created treason they just created treason against our own country and the dominant caste didn't pass anything outlawing this flag like they did in Germany. You can't walk around flying schwarzstückes in Germany. You can't walk around saying, hi Hitler, this is my culture, this is what my grandfather did. Oh, you know what? The sons and daughters of the Nazis get to have all these awesome graveyards with beautiful headstones and monuments. Oh, the fathers of the Nazis get this memorial. The daughters of the Nazis get this grant to put up this school and this banner and this person's name. And so it's like other countries have learned their, have well, learned I, from their history. That's an excellent
3: parallel. That's an excellent parallel. So again, the Nazis weren't the Germans. There's a difference between the Nazis and the Germans. And I think you've hit on that exactly. So the Nazis were a political party, the National right. Socialist, And that you ask any German, I lived in Germany for a year. You ask any German. What's the first country the Nazis invaded? The first person the Nazis invaded was their own. And right. they took over their country. Well,
2: that's, that's why I brought that up because it, it well, started there and then they, well, yes. But
3: the, but the parallel with the war is, is a, it really is a perfect <clears throat> one. You had a political party that decided that it was going to take more power than it should have. And that's right. exactly what the, the party that was wanted. in power. The party that was in power in the South, the party that stayed in power in the South. In fact... That, that was Woodrow Wilson. And why did he view it? Because it was made by members of his party for members of his party. And so, of course, as a member of his party who was helped to get elected by those people, he, he watched that movie. So after the war in Germany, they outlawed the party that had done the thing. You can't be a Nazi, which is a member of the National Socialist in Germany. And so their paraphernalia was also outlawed. In America, the party
2: was never outlawed.
3: That's correct. And so all their symbols are still around. Now, they try to distance themselves from that symbol. And, oh, that wasn't us. But it 100% was you. It 100% is, look, David Duke was a clan high dragon or wizard or whatever his level was. Yeah. And he was still around. Spoke at his eulogy. This is a thing that's still going on in the States today.
1: Who spoke at his eulogy, did you say?
3: There, was, there were several high-ranking Democrats. I, Hillary Clinton was one of them at, at the big funeral there. Because again, he was a senator. So a bunch of folks came out and said, hey, he's great. No, he's a member of the Ku Klux Klan and should be right. given no, no state funeral. He should not have been given. No, he, like he's a member of a domestic terrorist organization. He should have been right. put in prison. And yet, even as an active member of that, He was allowed to do this. Now, why did we not ban that? Why did we not ban those symbols? And the answer for that is actually pretty simple as well, because a government that has the power to ban a political party can ban any political party. Yeah. A government that has the power to ban any symbol can ban any symbol. Hate is subjective measurement. One group hates, another group likes. And depending on who gains power, and how quickly the the coin can shift you can see how maybe we don't want anyone to have that power obama to trump is a diametric opposite trump to biden is again a diametric opposite that's how quickly these laws can change and if one side could ban one flag the other side could ban another if one could ban one political party another could ban another imagine if Biden had the power to simply say, all you Republicans are now in jail. If Trump had the power to say, all you Democrats are now in jail, we don't want a government that has that power. And yet granting someone the power to say, the symbol from this party is now banned because I think it's a hate symbol, okay? Even if the majority of people agree with me that it's a hate symbol, I'm the one passing that law. And if I have that power, then I can pass that law for any other symbol and someone who comes in and disagrees with me and says, well, LGBT various flags or the Antifa flag, those are now hate groups and I'm banning those. We don't want someone to have that power, but you would, you give that power when you allow them to make this sort of change. And again, Germany doesn't have the same constitutional protections that we do. So they get to make those decisions. In America, however, we have a a document that limits the power of government over the people. And uh, again, the Constitution doesn't give the government any power. The Constitution specifically is there to limit the government's power and say what it can't do to people.
0: Hold on, James. Sarah, what what is it that you wanted to say? Oh, these are all some really interesting takes and perspective on these flags. Just a couple things i just like to touch on as far as the flags. And I agree, Andrea, what you said about Nazi Germany, I think really resonated with me. What the Confederate flag represents to Black people is enough to take it down. At some point, we have to do the right thing. And you can disagree on that, of what you think the right thing is, but why are we honoring these men who chose to, number one, and when we say honor, we're talking, there's schools named after Robert E. Lee, there's streets, there's monuments, there's flags. So it's not just a flag. It's almost this culture. Culture. Um, Right. Why are we choosing to honor these men that, number one, were actively fighting to keep other humans enslaved, number one, and number two, they are traitors. (laughs) Literally. I think it, for me, it's not, it's very cut and dry for me. For example, like people always talk about Robert E. Lee, who was the leading Confederate um, general of their army and how he struggled with the, the decision to secede with Virginia and fight for the Confederacy. But at the end of the day, he did. So why are we not celebrating the people who didn't make that choice? For example, George Thomas, he was born in Virginia, just like Robert E. Lee. He chose not to fight for the South. Why are we, And he was one of the top generals of the Union. So let's celebrate the men who made a good choice over the ones that made a terrible choice. Frederick Douglass, who was a really famous um, black abolitionist, um, yeah, in the 1800s, this quote really resonated with me. He said, it would be wrong to remember with equal admiration those who fought for slavery and those who fought for liberty and justice. Taking down these flags and removing these monuments is not going to stop incidents like the insurrection or right. the Charlottesville. The shooting, you know, the church shooting. It, exactly. But there, it, this flag and what it represents needs to stop being a state-sponsored thing. And can and I, we can argue... Oh, go ahead. I was no, because uh, we're running...
2: No, go ahead. We're running short on time. So I want you to go,
0: Sarah. And then I had one more thing. And then I wanted to hear okay. from Laura again. Okay, I'll, I'll wrap it up really fast. I think taking down these monuments and flags is a step in the right direction we have to remember too that these flags these statues were not erected until the 1890s to the 1960s they were not made right after the civil war so that has to tell you something that what is the purpose right the purpose is to uphold this culture of white supremacy and i'll end there
2: so go ahead laura and then i'll go yeah, I agree with a lot of what
1: Sarah said. And I feel like if it's government putting up these statues for hate, I've had conversations with with some of my black friends where one black friend says, "Yeah, these monuments, they represent a lot of hate for me. I'm hurt when I see them. I want them down." And the other black friend was just like, "They don't bother me. It's part of history." So I think that there's even amongst the, the black community mixed feelings there. I don't know if that one is so cut and dry. And what rang true to me, Sarah, is when you said you're honoring these men. And right. my point is that if you're honoring men, I think by having the right to fly that flag and have that right for freedom of speech and freedom of expression is still honoring men. And those are the men that died for that. And they're every single color. And those are the men that I feel like deserve honor. And I understand that it is a symbol of hate. I do not love that flag. I don't love seeing it. And I hate that the people I love have that feeling when they see that flag. I absolutely do. But I honor the men that died for that.
2: And people are still dying for that. And that's what's so frustrating. And one, I wanted to acknowledge James, what you shared, super profound. It You painted it in a way that I think a lot of people don't look at it. And we're definitely going to have you back on the show to discuss other topics. So you guys stay tuned for that. And because you're right, we do think as human beings, we're emotional and we want what we want based on how we feel. And some, we don't always think through the long-term repercussions, but can we look at the long-term repercussions of the flag? Can we look at because of these monuments and these symbols, my kids are still twice as likely to die at the hands of the police than your kids. Because of these symbols, my kids will still not get the benefit of the doubt just because of the color of their skin. Because of these symbols, I will always have to be twice as good, twice as, I have to watch what I say twice as much. I have to watch my tone more than you guys on this show right now. And when is that going to stop? How can we create a world moving forward to really honor freedom for everybody to be treated equal? As long as those symbols are up, I'm not treated equal. As long as hateful rhetoric is supported by our government, my kids are not treated equal. My grandkids will not be treated equal. And every shade did die for that flag. I hope our audience realizes that A lot of Black people uh, fought for the Revolutionary War, okay? A lot. And they fought for their freedom only to not even have it when the war was over. Let that sink in, okay? So they were told, yeah, you'll have it. They didn't. Not all of them. And it's just, I hate that I always have to have these conversations with my kids and y'all don't. I'd love to live in a world where I didn't have to have certain conversations with my boys on how to act, how to dress, how to, everybody has to have conversations with how to act. But what I mean is I have to have more racial conversations in my home than you do. And I feel like the only way to change that moving forward and honor true liberty is to not have such divisiveness being flaunted, supported, and encouraged everywhere we look, especially in the South. And even as recently as with this election, I'm not talking, I'm just, for example, I was driving down the street from my parents' house and they live in Georgia and you come out and go left of their, left of their house. There is a sons of the Confederate cemetery, about a mile down the road, huge, huge tombstones and things like that. It's very, the grounds are always well taken care of. There's Confederate flags all over it. And then you head, and there's this one house that had, and I get that this is their freedom and this is their choice, but this is what I mean, this house was flying a Confederate flag at the, it was a two story house and they had balconies, they had a Confederate flag at the top, then a Trump flag, then an American flag. And I understand that that's their right. And to me, that's so disgusting. It's so disgusting and hateful. It's like, Hey everybody, here's all this hate. And in this order, I love to be hateful and I'm gonna support my president and then I'll support my country. And I'm like, if we want people to support our country first, Let's not have these hateful symbols. (laughs) If we're going to come together and be unified, we have to start somewhere. And I get that it's a slippery slope. I don't live in a bubble. Where do you draw the line? I don't know. All I know is this is how I feel about it. Lauren James feel differently about it. Sarah and I feel one way, but I think it's safe to say that we all learned a little something from each other on this show.
1: Um, Can I ask you a question, Andrea?
2: Sure. So...
1: obviously there's a lot of emotion there. So say for instance, just speaking hypothetically that that did happen, that they said, yeah, you're right. This is a symbol of hate. It should be taken down. We're gonna outlaw it. What are the feelings do you think that you would have if that were to happen?
2: It's hard for me to speak hypothetically because I am such an emotional person. And I think one, I would probably cry tears of joy first. Just like when I saw that flag in our nation's capital, I cried tears of sorrow because that didn't even make it to the capital steps during the civil war and here it is in 2021 and it's in the halls of a country where I'm supposed to be safe and you and I are supposed to be treated equal. So honestly, I think I would cry tears of joy. And then I would say, what is the plan to get to work? Now we have to get out and we have got to educate just like James brought up with the whole tobacco movement, right? Tobacco industries are, they're not allowed, which is, I'm like, man, we need another hour. They're not allowed to have commercials of people smoking cigarettes. They're not allowed to have billboards of people smoking. Did you? So it's like our government took a stance on tobacco for the health of our people. And so they pushed, I don't know how many millions, probably billions of dollars to advertise the importance of not smoking. They pay people to go into schools. And remember, they would have those little baby dolls, smoke the cigarette and show you what the lungs look like if you smoke. And if you don't smoke, Right? they put all this money into campaigning why we should not smoke. And in turn, as James said, we've seen that decrease right through education. And I feel like that's what the same thing should be. If this happens, we need to put billions of dollars into educating why we need to love each other, why our country is the way it is and what we can do to change it. We need to jump billions of dollars in unconscious bias training. We need to jump billions of dollars into really looking at how uh, our minds work and what gets seeded so that they can create something more different so that these biases don't continue to get planted. So that hate doesn't subconsciously continue to get planted into the minds of our children. And I'm not standing, I'm not taking a side here or there with the whole Dr. Seuss thing. I'm gonna reference it because James brought it up. They, that organization chose to pull six books, six, okay? Six out of, I don't know how many hundreds. I don't know if you guys know how many, okay? But there's more than a hundred books. They chose to pull six so that little brown children like mine cannot get seeded with hate. And so that little white children like yours don't get seeded with hate and every rainbow in between yellow children, that was a decision they made to stop seeding people with hate. So I stand behind that. I don't think that's a slippery slope when it comes to what, if we're, it's the small subtle things. And so I think that's, I think is where we, I think that is what the next step should be. We've dumped billions of dollars into inclusive trainings, inclusive learnings, into actual history, because I'm sure all of us learned something from Sarah today that we didn't learn in school. I'll tell you right now, my white husband, I found a Confederate flag in our closet when he was on deployment from things that he had. I now look at Sarah's face from things in his twenties. And I was like, why do you have a Confederate flag? One, you can't be married to a black girl and have a Confederate flag. Let's keep it real, for real. He's like, oh, I bought that when I was in Georgia. I was in my twenties and he served a a church mission in Georgia and he's everybody told me it was just heritage. It was just a symbol of the South. And he's, I didn't even learn what state's rights were till I was on my own and researching. He had no idea the civil, he was not taught in school that the civil war and slavery were like aligned. (laughs) And so how many other people haven't been taught that? So I say you dump money into really giving it to our kids straight right? Like Steve Harvey would say, straight talk, no chaser. So that's what, that's my opinion on it. I don't know. Yeah. So I went to high school
1: in an area that was more rural and there were a lot of rednecks and they would fly those flags. And when I went to lunch, there were three tables where all the black kids sat. And it was this very segregated feel and I never knew why. And I was just there attending the school, but I'm not really either, obviously either of these groups. And I had a girl who, she was white and she had a lot of these black friends and I was friends with her. So even though I didn't have a lot of the black friends, I was friends with her. So one time I find myself in the back of this car with all of her friends, I think she was driving everybody else besides her and me in this car are black and we're sitting in the parking lot of the, of our high school. And I, I don't know these girls. And so I was, and I was already a pretty shy person as it was. And it was so much more intimidating when the girl next to me, she looks over and there's this big truck with the Confederate flag license plate. And she said, the first words out of her mouth was, what does that mean to you? And I was like, mm-hmm. I don't know. I didn't know.
2: So
0: right. there
1: wasn't that education. And I think it was just living in the South is just something that you see. And I didn't realize, and I don't even think I realized even in that moment, what that meant to her. And it just took that education. So where I don't feel that maybe outlawing it is, I absolutely agree that education is very important. I agree. Right.
2: I had a similar story when I first got to Georgia, not Georgia, but when I moved from Columbus to Atlanta so my first, it's my senior year of high school at a brand new school and I pull in the parking lot and in come about four or five trucks, all waving Confederate flags, like stuck in the bed. So they're literally big flags, not just a license plate. Mm-hmm. And I thought to myself, what is happening? Am I going to get hung after school? And then I became that girl who walked in. I didn't say anything to any of the white people because I didn't know who were the racist white people who want me dead and who are the nice ones. Mm -hmm. And I was terrified starting a new high school as a senior is hard anyway. And to go into it, not knowing if I'm going to come out alive, literally. And I know that might sound dramatic to some of y'all, but that was how I felt. What is happening? Am I going to school with a bunch of racist white kids? You know what I did? I was those girls like you just talked about who sat at the black table because at least it was safe. And I knew I would make it to the end of the day. And I know that might sound really dramatic for some of y'all, but that's exactly how I felt. Sarah, I feel like there's one more thing you want to say before we wrap up.
0: Oh, just your story, Andrea, I think that paints a really important picture that people need to understand is that while some don't understand and they have, like you, you mentioned your husband has this flag. Oh, I thought you just, I went to Georgia and a lot of people don't understand that is a symbol of racism. It is a symbol of prejudice. And for you, when you see that flag, you were triggered. And it was traumatizing. And it brings up that trauma because whether we like it or not, black people are still dealing with the legacy of slavery. And this is part of the problem. So you just have to say to yourself, imagine what that is like seeing that flag and it, and you're not being dramatic at all. It's automatically traumatizing for you to see that over and over again driving by and seeing a statue of Robert E. Lee. That's traumatizing. And if we truly know better, let's do better. I think we're
2: gonna wrap up on that note unless, James, did you have one more quick thing that you wanted to say or, we literally have two minutes.
3: She brought up Frederick Douglass and doing the right thing. We have to think beyond the folks right here uh, and right now and think beyond this decade and the decades to come, once, once rights are restricted by a government and they're never given back without violence. And just to quote, Frederick Douglass, to suppress free speech is a double wrong. It violates the right to the hear as well as the right to the speaker. The rights that all these people were fighting for are the rights that we would be giving up if we cede those to the government. I, I, I'm not saying that anything that you've the emotions that you've expressed are wrong but there's a right way to address that and actually overcome the problem and there's a wrong way and allowing the police to use its police powers to at the force of a gun enforce what it considers hate and not is by far the wrong way to do it but i do agree that there's plenty of right ways to do it and we should look into those instead of ceding that right to the government and letting them force us to conform to cultural norms of what is right and wrong.
2: All right. Well, on that note, I encourage all of you guys to look at how you can be the solution to this situation. How can you make it better? Can you start by looking at yourself, explore your feelings and get real on how you feel about it? Are you willing to talk about it? Are you willing to be that friend who looks at someone and says, how do you feel about this flag and have an open, honest, calm discussion about it and be okay with, if you agree to disagree at the end of the day, if you guys need help with any unconscious bias trainings, you can find us at thewakeupstories.com. We would love to help plant new inclusive seeds. I'd love to thank my guests, Sarah and James for coming on the show today. Uh, please join us in our Facebook group, the wakeupstories.com to further this discussion until next time. We'll see you later. Bye.